We'll pick up in verse 12 tonight, just 12, 13, 14, three verses. And this really is, is the, the ultimate uh, several verses with regard to what we would call in, in Christendom the doctrine of original sin. It's one of the hardest things, I think, for many people to wrap their minds around. That as human beings, whether you want to or not, whether you think you are or not, whether you believe that there should be another option or not, whether as you sit here tonight you consider yourself a good person or not, that every last human being is born a sinner. 100% of us. Secondarily to that, that 100% of all human beings will suffer the result of being a sinner, and that is death, in three parts. Spiritually, physically, and eternally, unless you take the cure for that. And so tonight... Adam's gift to mankind. You know, when you think of Adam, I I don't know how you think about him, but there have been times in my life when I thought, when I get to heaven, I'm slapping him in the head. (laughs) There have been times when I thought, you know, I probably wouldn't have done any better. There are times when I've thought, you know, how come I have to suffer for his idiotic issues? But when I really think about it, God's grace was still greater than even Adam's sin. And so God had in view all along what he was going to do with Adam's choice. And so tonight, pick up with me in verse 12 here in Romans 5, and Adam's gift. And therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. If you've ever struggled with this, please highlight and underline this particular verse. There is exactly one reason that sin entered into the world originally, and his name is Adam. And we are all related to him. The scientific world that believes in evolutionary biology would disagree with me. And in fact, we all came maybe from some alien being that planted the seed of life. Uh, maybe we're related to good old Zenu, uh, the, the wonderful god of the Scientologists. Or perhaps there was a blue-green algae that somehow appeared in a primordial ooze somewhere that eventually uh, began to produce all kinds of amino acids and proteins and finally making a completed DNA strand, which, by the way, is entirely left-handed. Uh, you can't have any right-handed DNA. It has to all be left-handed. And so you have all these things that happen, and somehow, from goo to you, monkey to man. But your Bible says, our Bible says, the Word of God says, that there was two people, Adam, from him was created Eve, and from the two of them, The rest of all of mankind exist, 100% of us. We are all related to the original pair. 
created in the image of God. And therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. Notice the reason that's given for death. And this is incredibly important that we wrap our minds around this. Some people view these few verses as some of the hardest verses in the entire Bible to really get our minds around. Because they are, in some ways, the most objectionable. Because people like to believe that men were created if they were created, or that they exist if they just simply exist as goo to you, that we are all good. Your Bible says differently. The Bible says that all men were born sinners, and the result of that sin is death. That we are, in fact, born with the great capacity to do evil. People don't like that. I want to make my own choice. I think I can be good enough to reach God. Death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. That's, in essence, a repeat of chapter 3. Amen? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he goes on in verse 13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. In other words, God holds us responsible for what we know. So when you think about how God responds to your understanding and knowledge, when people are ignorant of sin, God has grace in their ignorance. There's another way to look at it. He doesn't exonerate us, but he has grace for the ignorance. And he allows us that time in order that we might repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. And nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. In other words, even those people who didn't eat of the tree, because guess how many people did that? Exactly two. Because God sealed it off and said, nobody else is going to get to do this. So there was never, ever another transgression that was exactly like Adam's. But God simply says to us, look, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even though the rest of the people didn't do what Adam did. Who is a type of him to come. And so as you mull over this passage, it is... To some people, a tremendous an enigma. It is enigmatic. It's a mystery. It's a conundrum. It's something that's tough for us to understand. As far as our human comprehension passages like this, they, they get into our heads a little bit. And so the focus here is on Adam. It's on the reign of death. And, and it begins to become very clear to us when you actually think about what this passage is saying. In essence, sin comes into the world... And because of sin, the result is death. That through one man's sin, death comes into the world. Now here's why this is important for us as the body of Christ tonight. Some people may argue with the validity of the Bible. And you can point them to this passage and say, have you ever met anybody who did not die? And they'll say, well, I have all kinds of people that I know that aren't dead yet. Operative word yet. Every single person who will live up to this point, till the rapture comes, 
has experienced death. Furthermore, every last animal that's ever been born on the face of the earth also has died. And if it's still alive right now, there's something you can be sure of. It will eventually die, should the Lord tarry. Death is actually a perfect piece of the human puzzle for us to point people to, to talk to them about the Lord. Have you, ask them the question, have you ever wondered why all people die? Because here's something that we all kind of, you know, we have people all over the planet today that are just like Ponce de Leon. The mid-1500s comes here. He came before the pilgrims actually got here, right? He comes to St. Augustine, Florida. What is he looking for? He's looking for the fountain of youth. He wants to extend life. He thinks if you drink of this wonderful, magical pool that somehow you'll never die. People are looking for eternal life. It's built within us. God put that desire for us to live eternally. Here's the good news and the bad news simultaneously. Everybody will live eternally. The only question is where. There's not a person here tonight. You may not know this. Maybe you came in and you did not know this. There's not a person here tonight that is not going to live forever. The only question is, where are you going to live forever? That's the only question. Because mankind was created in the image of God. And part of the image of God is he's eternal. So all of mankind has been created in the image of God and will live eternal. The only question is, is it going to be heaven or is it going to be hell? That's where your choice about sin comes in. That's where my choice about sin comes in. That's where what I do with my innate sin nature comes into play. Because it is there that we meet God. It's there that our relationship is restored to him. It's there that the cross covers our sin. It's there that Jesus himself paid the price for what Adam did. And for what everyone else has done after him, by the way. You ever wondered when you look at the, the vast fossil record that exists all over the globe, you know what that's a picture of? A whole bunch of dead stuff. It's a picture of death. Wholesale death. Death on massive scale. People think about the fossil record because we don't you know, trip over them on the way to work every day. But there are trillions of fossils all over the world. There are graveyards everywhere. There is a record of this truth all over the world. You can go to the very heights of the Andes, the very top of the Himalayas. You can go into the Sierra Nevadas. You can go into the Rockies. And you know what you're going to find? Old dead things. Because the history of the earth is the history of things dying. Exactly as scripture says. And so the next time you go past a cemetery, you can either praise God, that grave can't hold me because it didn't hold Jesus. Or you can wonder about where I'm going because that isn't my final resting place. It's an inevitable truth. 
The earth is pockmarked with graves. It's the history of mankind's rebellion. And since the creation of man, there have only been two people that have not tasted of death in at least all three ways. They tasted of death in at least one of those ways. But Enoch and Elijah, other than Christ, and even Christ himself died physically, amen? So even Christ experienced death because he was also man, amen? So Christ experienced death. Enoch and Elijah, until they received Christ's sacrifice, they spiritually died. So they were spiritually dead at a point in time in their life. So they experienced the same death. There's actually an Arab proverb, the black camel of death kneels once at each door and each mortal must return no more. There, there's, a, there's a time for each of us. The, the very term mortal, when you talk about you are a mortal being or, or you talk about immortality, the term mortal means subject to death. That's what it actually means. So when you talk about your own mortality, you're talking about your own subjectness to death. One day it's going to happen to all of us. Mankind is fascinated by it. If you don't believe that, look at the number of insane movies that have been made about people dying. We are literally, as a culture, fascinated by death. Martin Luther said this right around 1500 or so, probably early 1500s. Every man must do two things alone. He must do his own believing and his own dying. Benjamin Franklin, widely believed uh, to be nothing more than a deist, someone who believed in a supreme being, God of some kind. But a lot of his writings, you, you have to wonder, he said this, 1785, just shortly before his death, a believer's corpse is something like the cover of an old book. Its contents torn out, stripped of its lettering and gilding, and yet the work of it, itself shall not be lost for it will appear once more in a new and a more beautiful edition Daniel Webster incredible jurist one consolation is that death as it is is also the end of taxes one may live as conqueror and king or magistrate, but he must die as a man. The bed of death brings every human being to his pure individuality and to the intense contemplation of that deepest and most solemn of all relations, the relation between the creature and the creator. We wonder about these things. Living in the mountains for all the years that we were up there, nearly a hate to say it, almost a quarter of a century. But as we lived in the mountains, Twin Peaks is, is actually the home uh, of L. Ron Hubbard's head. And the founder of Scientology was a science fiction writer. And so when he concocted this religion to where someplace out in the Pacific there was a giant volcano and somebody put a hydrogen bomb in it and the Lord God Zenu of the Galactic Empire uh, came and deposited all the human souls in there and it blew up. Well, he thought that if they could save his head because he believed that the mind was the key to everything, so they cryo-froze his head. I'm pretty sure he's missing that about right now. 
because everyone's subject to death. And when you're dead, you're dead. It's what you do while you're alive that matters. And so we have this analogy that comes before us. And it really is the analogy of opposites. And the reason that this is important to us is there are only two choices. There's two roads. There's a narrow way that leads unto life, salvation, and there's a broad way that leads unto death. There's only two destinations. There's heaven and there's hell. And that's not to be morbid and it's not to be a hellfire and brimstone preacher. It's what your Bible clearly says. There's exactly two options. When Jesus speaks parabolically, what does he say? There's wheat and there's chaff. There's goats and there's sheep. There are believers and not believers. And so when you look at this passage, God simplifies it for us. Because of Adam's sin, all men, 100%, are condemned. Here's the good news. You have to stay that way. Because of Christ's obedience, all men can be pardoned. We can be freed from that sin and from its penalty, death. And so this study, next week's will be the other half of it. But tonight we'll focus on Adam. And so we see that sin enters into this world through the one man. The therefore that you see in verse 12 connects what follows. All these things have been declared. And as you look at the first five chapters of the book of Romans, you have this incredible picture of the depravity of man. And so now comes the decision time. As we look at these truths, much like we, we are founding documents, we hold these truths to be self-evident. This passage is self-evident. It's not hard to see what God's saying here, but the implications are tough to swallow. Because it leaves you one side or the other. There's nowhere else to go. It kind of puts mankind on notice. It's, Look, you're, you're a sinner. You want to irritate people who think they're morally good? Tell them they're a sinner. They get furious. They lose their minds. They, say all, they, they may say some words you don't want to hear. I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. I would say a vast majority of the time when I've talked to people that I don't basically know, when I'm just talking to somebody and I ask them what they think about religion or I'll you know, try and ask them, get a conversation started. I'll be sitting on a plane. Very often I'm doing something on my computer and there's a Bible study and they'll look at it and go, man, you are weird. Typing all this Jesus stuff. They'll ask me what, I'm, what I do and who I am. I'll say, I'm a pastor. And about then they're like, oh no. So they stop ordering alcohol. And you start to work up a conversation with them. And I'll usually ask them, well, what do you think about hell? Oh, that's just, you know, you guys tell them that because, you know, you don't want anybody to have fun. Been told that many times. Well, ask them about heaven. Well, I think it's what you make it. I'm glad I'm not going to your heaven. You see, people have very strong opinions. When you ask them, do you think that you're a sinner? They immediately 
take an existential view. Their reality is what they believe sinning is. And so very often, well, no, I'm really good. I'm a good person. And if you get an opportunity, you ask them what they think a good person is. No, usually say things like, well, I gave to the ASPCA. You know, I went to a soup kitchen 11 years ago. I haven't stolen anything this week. Been three weeks since I smoked any dope. They'll usually give you a list of things that they think qualifies them to be a good person. And you point them to this passage. Do you realize that the Bible says that all have sinned? Like, oh, (laughs) that's ridiculous. What is sin anyway? Then you tell them what it is. That, That word sin simply means to miss the mark. And the mark is God's absolute perfection. So when God says we've all sinned, that's pretty clear from a biblical perspective. Yep, sinner. But for someone who doesn't know the Lord, it's comparing themselves to everybody else that's on the planet. And rarely will somebody admit that they're actually a sinner. That's why you need to be convinced in your heart that you're actually a sinner in order to be saved. Because your mind says, I'm not a sinner. And then you give the list of things that makes you not a sinner. And the Bible here clearly tells us we were all born into sin because every last one of us is related to Adam. Sin enters in the world humanly and in that earthly realm. You you see, Adam didn't invent sin. Common misconception for a lot of Christians even. You'll ask them, where did sin come from? They'll usually name Adam. They'll blame him for it. Which in some ways is true, because he's the first one that acted on it on this earth. But it is in fact before the beginning, your Bible says, Satan himself was a sinner. He sinned from the beginning. So before the world was even created, Satan had invented sin. Sinned in his heart, sinned against God. But through this one man, and in this case... It's Adam. Now remember the story there in Genesis chapter 2. And this is why it's so important for us to get it. This, this is why you probably won't punch out Adam when you get there, okay? Because when you think about what God said to Adam, Adam has a perfect environment. He's got a beautiful wife. He does not have to work other than tending the garden. He's basically a gardener. Adam's a gardener, and oh, by the way, he's completely naked with his wife 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's got it pretty good. Gets to hang out with God in the cool of the day. So God says, look, Adam, because sin is in the universe, it hasn't come to this world yet, I'm going to give you an opportunity to test and see exactly how much you love me. So I'm going to give you exactly one command. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. From any tree in the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Now, check this out. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
So in order to eat of that, what does Adam have to do? He has to sin. He has to disbelieve God's command, and he has to act on it. And the result of that is death. One law on the entire planet. And guess what Adam does? Same thing you would have done. Maybe it would have taken you three more weeks. Maybe ten more years. But after a while, you would have looked at it and you said, man, I've eaten of the rest of these nine and a half billion trees. They're all good. If he tells me I'm not supposed to eat that one, that one's got to be really good. Because you were created with the capacity to make choices. Because if God just made you obedient, there'd be no such thing as a choice. You would have looked at that tree and said, yes, sir. But because God made you with the capacity to have your love validated in reality, he actually allowed you to sin. You could have kept Adam from sinning. This whole world would be different. But God wouldn't have a love relationship with us. He would have just forced his will on us. We'd be nothing more than robots. And so he gave us choice. Gives Adam a simple prohibition. And here's the deal. Yep, sin is in your DNA. You inherited from Adam his sin. Paul's argument begins here with the assertion that through Adam, sin entered into the world. And it does not speak, I want you to notice this, of sin plural. It's singular. In that sense, sin doesn't represent a particular kind. It isn't a certain thing. It's not one of a bunch of things. You know, you can do all these things, but not these things. It was just the action, the sinful act. The heart is the issue. And that's why Jesus reminded us, look, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's what man is on the inside that determines what he is on the outside. God looks at the heart of man. And so in that sense, Adam bequeathed to us a physical nature. We're all humankind, amen? We're human beings. Scientists would call you homo sapiens. You're a very specific species. You, you, you would look at your own DNA and say, well, you're not like a monkey. You're only like a man. In that sense, our DNA is locked in. We are all humankind. We have all kinds of different variations of that humankind, but we're all related one to another. We're all humans in that sense. But we're not just related that way. We're related in spiritual nature because we were made in the image of God. And so that spiritual nature is open to the same things that our physical nature is open to. We're all related. We're not forced to sin, but we've been made with the internal capacity, the drive, the ability to do things that we're not supposed to do. God being perfect, of course, would never force us to do those things. But in that sense, we're all related. He's made us into a single entity. You don't think about it, but we're, a, we're really a divinely ordered solidarity of a group of beings that are all related one to another. We even talk about, we use phrases like the human family, right? Don't we say mankind? 
And when we say mankind, we're not talking about just men. We're talking about men and women, humans. We talk about humanity. We talked about the community of the world. We use all kinds of phrases to identify ourselves as being together. We talk about the global community. We talk about our village. You you see, we are all interrelated. We are related to Adam, the entire human race. And in that sense, we have a corporate identity. There is part of our identity that is completely corporate in nature. And so Paul's argument is along those lines. Ancient Jews certainly understood this. And in fact, they viewed the whole world that way. So when they went against a specific group of people, say the Canaanites or the Edomites, maybe the Egyptians, they considered all of the Edomites evil and all of the Canaanites evil, and all of the Egyptians evil, they understood this very thing. Why? Because God had told them so. So it was an obedience to God. God said, look, if these people are like that, they're all like that. It's part of their identity. And in that sense, we're all, we all have a common identity in Adam. We're all related to him. And you look back through the stories of the Bible, you, you get that uh, Levi pays tithes to, to Melchizedek. The reason he did that, even though he lived many years before, he was part of the priestly tribe. He was born with all the other descendants of Abraham. And because Abraham did it, Levi should do it. They were related. They took that relationship very seriously. We need to take our relationship very seriously with the rest of humankind. Paul actually went on to explain in in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 that in Adam all die. Every last one of us one day are going to die. And so if the historical Adam doesn't represent all of sinful mankind, then how can the last Adam, who is Christ, represent all of us to save us. You see, the point that he's making is because we're all related to Adam, we can all be saved through Christ. He's making the point there is no distinction, not Jew, not Greek, not because you're born in America or you're born in Iraq. You're part of Adam's race, and because you're part of Adam's race and you have that original sin, you also have the the absolute ability to take the cure for that which is the last Adam, Christ. So you better hope that you were born with a sin nature because that's the only way to escape and and make that, that place of your permanent residence heaven instead of hell. You see, the result of all of this sin was death. Death enters in through sin. And, and Paul's argument is actually a relatively simple one there in verse 12. It says, death enters in through sin. And so as he begins to make this case, a person doesn't become a sinner by committing sins. Do you understand that? But rather you commit sins because you're already a sinner. It's a very different way to look at it. The results are roughly the same, but it's important that you get the order correct. You see, we actually act on the nature that's already in there. We're already born that way. 
person doesn't become a liar when he tells a lie. He tells a lie because his heart's already deceitful. A person doesn't become a murderer. He's already a murderer, murderer because there's hate in his heart. Jesus made this point very clear. That's why they're in Matthew chapter 15. He says, look, it's murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witness. All those things come out of your heart. Because we're all related to Adam. Adam's capacity to sin, our capacity to sin. And that brought about death in three different ways. It brought about spiritual death. Spiritual death is separation from God. When you die spiritually, what I think the worst thing about hell will be the separation from God, personally. That, that would be the worst part of it. Now, it's all going to be horrible. But to me, that's actually the worst part. But there are two other parts. Because physical death itself separates you from the possibility of changing sides. You see, spiritual death, you're separated from God. Physical death, you're separated from the possibility of even knowing Him. You have to make that decision while you're still alive. And then eternal death. That's what brings about the everlasting punishment. You see, you're not just dying once. You're dying twice and you're dying forever. You're forever dead. That's why Jesus said, He who the Son hath made alive. Is alive. He who the Son has made free is free indeed. The light of life has shone upon men. You see, spiritual life comes from escaping the penalty of that death which came through Adam. All these things are rectified in spiritual life. But you can keep what you got with your nature in Adam. That's why Ephesians 4 said, unsaved people have their dark, have darkened understanding. They're excluded from the life of God there in verse 18 because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. It's not because it's impossible. It's because it's hard. Men's, men, men's hearts are hard. And so these three kinds of death that come upon mankind... When you think about it, there's a simple method of transmission. When we talk about disease, there's almost always a method of transmission. When you talk about some of the viruses that we deal with, they're, they're what are called fecal-oral. They have a tendency to be passed along generally through physical contact or sneezing bodily fluids, those types. The method of transmission is if someone sneezes in your face, it's a pretty good chance you're going to get the virus that they have. Here's the bummer about humankind. The method of transmission is being human. That's how you got it. Death spread to all men because all have sinned. Death was transmitted to all of us through Adam. Through that spiritual DNA that we have linking us to the original couple, Adam and Eve, every last one of us is born sick. That's the doctrine of original sin. It's very much the same thing as that drug-addicted mother who has a baby very often, and I'll use it loosely here. But the baby is born addicted to drugs. Why? Because of the sins of the mom. In this case, we're born sinners 
Because of the sin of Adam. People don't like that. I didn't get to choose that. Yeah, that's correct. But you also didn't choose for Christ to go to the cross. He went while you were still sinning. So the answer to the problem was even better than the problem itself. So before you get too worried about it, just realize that grace saves us, not your own work. It isn't that you, 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 you're stuck with this thing. You're not stuck with it because grace can set you free. Hallelujah. You, you, you see, so the method of transmission is mankind is born, not morally neutral, but we're born in sin. We are evil in that sense. We're at odds with God. At enmity with God. At war with God. That's why David reminded us the wicked are estranged from the womb. They speak lies from birth. Have you ever noticed you don't have to teach children how to lie? You ever notice that? You don't have to teach them how to cheat. You give two kids a, a piece of cake, you hand them a plastic knife, and you tell them to cut it up every last time. They'll take the bigger piece for themselves. Greedy little dogs. Like... <laughs> That's a generality. Maybe you have the child that'll cut the small piece and give the bigger one to somebody else. But in a general sense, we're, we, we don't have to be taught how to lie. We don't have to be taught how to cheat. We don't have to be taught how to steal. You don't need to have classes in, in grade school, junior high and high school, to teach your kids how to do evil things. They got that nailed, don't they? Now, they may not all do lots of evil things, but I haven't met a perfect one yet. And bear in mind, you're talking about somebody who ministered to around half a million kids in his history at the camp. So I've seen a lot of kids. Little rotten sinners. <laughs> all of them need saviors. Some of them sinned less than others, but they all sinned. And I can tell you the worst among them, pastor's kids. <laughs> the ones who should know better. <laughs> Eliphaz even asked Job, the earliest book of man's writing, what is man that he should be pure, or he who is born of a woman that he should be righteous? And it's, it poses a question. Look, the problem is we're not. There's no excuses. There's no exemption. Adam didn't have an excuse. And neither do we. And that's the beauty of it. It seems harsh, but it's actually the beautiful part of it. Because Adam didn't have an excuse. He sinned fully and knowingly against God. And whether we want to admit it or not, so do we. Eventually you come to that conclusion you go, man, I've blown it. What do I do about it? Adam, Adam was, people try and hang the whole thing on Eve. Don't blame Eve for Adam's sin. Adam sinned. He talked to God. God told him, don't do it. So who does he listen to? His wife instead of God? The dude had an issue, Okay. 
People argue, you know, I wasn't there. Why should I be held accountable to that? This is one of the beautiful pictures of God's justice and fairness. His absolute love for us. Because there are no exemptions. There isn't a group of people. And let me tell you why this is so important. Imagine for a second that there were a group of a hundred people. Somehow were born on this planet. And they're actually still related to us. That never sinned. Those people could actually be saved by works. Now you have a problem. Because if anyone can be saved by works, then everyone has to be saved by works. But scripture says, by the works of the flesh is no one justified. So what does God do? We're all in the same boat. Transmission's the same. There's no exemptions. There's no excuses. There's no get out of jail free cards. We're, we're all by the same token, whether physically or, or emotionally or spiritually, we're all tied to Adam. And in the same way, we can all be tied to Christ. Because I didn't earn my own salvation. I also did not dictate to myself that I would be born a sinner. I was simply born a sinner. And so the cure is actually better than the problem that I have. History proves it. When, when you look at our lives, when you see us, we begin to immediately look to the next passage that we'll get to next week. And we just begin to praise God. It's like, praise God. Praise God for his grace. Because you know what? The cross of Christ wasn't fair either. The cross of Christ wasn't fair. The Son of God suffered the penalty, Scripture says, for all of mankind. The transgression of our peace, Isaiah said, was put upon him. The transgressions that I did personally were put on Jesus. You see, it's exactly the same picture as my problem from Adam, but my problem is being taken care of by Jesus. Yeah, I, I didn't ask for the problem, but I also don't have to take care of the problem myself. Praise the Lord. Amen? For his own divine reasons, God created man to, to have a, a part in all of this. And when Adam fell... There brought, by brought his own condemnation, he also brought condemnation on the rest of us. But praise God that one day, as it says here, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. You see, the price that needed to be extracted from mankind, God didn't take out. God never took the price from any human being. Never. He sent Jesus to pay the price for every human being. You see, he didn't make Adam and Eve pay for their own sin. He didn't make Adam pay for his own sin. He didn't make Eve pay for her own sin. He didn't make Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Benjamin, David. None of them paid for their own sin. Christ paid the debt for all their sin. So while sin was in the world, when there was no law, nobody knew actually what God fully required of them. The law comes along, they now know. And so God says, you better relate to me by truth. 
but he gives us all the opportunity by grace, through faith, to believe. And so, like Abraham waited in faith in Sheol, we trust in faith today. So people have always been saved by God's grace through faith. Today, the problem is answered in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. Death was universal, completely obvious to all of mankind, but it was not men's sinful acts in breaking the law of Moses because they didn't even have it yet. They didn't have the law of Moses until the law of Moses came. There were a lot of people before the law of Moses. Millions and millions of people before the law of Moses. Do you think God was unfair to them? I don't. But he gave, he gave them the same thing he gives you and I. Faith to believe. They had the same nature as you and I. A sin nature. And they had one choice to make. To believe. That's it. God has always honored that belief, that faith. And whether it was with Adam and Eve and waiting, or whether it's you and I in Christ, it's his grace through faith that saves. Adam's gift, though it keeps on giving, amen, is not greater than Christ's price that was paid. And so we'll get to that part next week. Would you stand and let's pray? Going to have the band come back out. And while we didn't talk about the cure tonight, let me just briefly tell you that maybe uh, you came tonight and, and you realize now that you actually are a sinner. And in your heart of hearts, you realize that those two roads that I talked about are true. But there's only two. That there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end of it is death. And that way we talked about tonight. The end of that road is death. And it's a broad road, and many there are who travel that road. But there is a narrow way that leads into righteousness, and his name is Jesus. And he is saying to you, the very same thing that he's always said. He's saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear the, my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him. And so I want to make that opportunity for you. And I'm going to have the pastors come forward right now so that they're available up front. And if you're here tonight and you have never invited Jesus Christ into your heart, There is no other way to escape the penalty of being born in Adam, which is death, in all of its facets. That penalty will take your life physically. That penalty will take your life spiritually. And that penalty will take your life eternally. Unless you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said that if you will believe in him, 
and you will be saved. That he is God's own son, that he died on Calvary's cross in your place, and if you put your trust in him, you'll be saved. There are pastors down front right now, and we're going to bow our heads, we're going to pray, and I'm going to simply ask you if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord and you want to be sure, you want to be certain that your eternal destiny, that, that ticket that's punched for when you leave this planet is marked heaven, then I'm going to simply ask you to come forward and pray with one of these men to receive Christ. Because it's essential. There's only two destinies. And you have to choose which one it is that you want. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. And Lord, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit that if there is anyone in this place tonight, anyone in your house tonight that does not know you, that right now, where they are, they would just simply leave their seat, come forward. They would confess their sin and ask you, Jesus, to be their Lord and Savior. And God, for the rest of us who have been born in Adam and yet are still wandering this planet. Lord, we have a job to do, and that's to preach the gospel until you come. And so, Lord, we count that a privilege to be able to speak your name to anyone who will listen. We pray that you'd help us to do that. We pray right now for those that do not know you. God, please, in Jesus' name, save them tonight. God, we give you our lives. We thank you for loving us. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.